Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy... Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a co-host we can all see and hear. It's Brian Martin. Hello. Uh, there is a 87% chance that I'm going to pronounce some Indian names incorrectly <laughs> in this episode, folks. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that before turning the recorders on here. But new Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah. I, yes. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed their two episodes of Magnum P.I. the last couple of weeks. And I swear one of these was supposed to be Quantum Leap. I'm fairly <laughs> certain that it had been advertised to be back two weeks ago. It's all part of the Belisario verse. I, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Well, I don't know. I almost said we should just watch this and record a podcast on it because I was, I wouldn't say irate. <laughs> like I tuned in to watch some Quantum Leap, and when it was Magnum PI again, I was like, "What? What? What? Come on! We should have reviewed an episode of Magnum PI as though it was just an episode of Quantum Leap. Yeah, <laughs> like we like didn't that. even catch. We didn't even catch the fact that it was a completely different TV show. Yeah, jeez. I mean, it kind of gave us some time, though. I feel like if social media is any indication, you didn't have a whole lot of time to record last week anyway. Oh, my God, no. Uh, you seem I like had... a busy individual, sir. Yeah, in addition to my, like, nine to five and my post-work job. I went and saw Chris Rock last yeah. week. How was live. it? Uh, amazing. And Terrific. Nobody came up and slapped him, I'm assuming. No, no, no. He did save the slap bits for the end of the show. He oh, had, did he? he prolonged... Did he bring it up? He had a prolonged bit about the slap. It was very good. My favorite moment, he was talking about all the people that had trash-talked Will Smith after Jada came out and said she was sleeping with her, like, kid's friend or something like that. Yeah. 50 Cent trash-talked him. But no, he comes up and slaps Chris Rock. <laughs> and Chris Rock says, he played Muhammad Ali. I played Pookie in New Jack City. <laughs> and, uh... What a great moment. Yeah. And then my son turned five over the weekend, so right. a lot of uh, and festivities saw, And saw his first Marvel movie? In the theater, yes. He saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. You got a five-year-old to sit down in a movie theater for- I did not. I did not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is his third movie in a theater, and it was by far the one that he sat for the least. Oh, really? Yeah, so the previous movies we saw were Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and DC League of Super Pets. Oh, okay. So we've seen those three in the cinemas. This one, he was the most restless during. But I will say, by about the eighth trailer, he turned to me and said, 
when is the movie going to right? start? <laughs> I know. that's. We did the animated Grinch uh, okay. with, um, right. you know, uh, Sherlock. Benedict was Cumberbatch. Him. Yeah, Benedict. Yeah. And, uh, Cumberdink Bandersnatch. <laughs> yeah. Butternut squash. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he went to that. And he was so small that he couldn't make the movie seat sit flat. You know, like he was. Oh, no. Yeah, he was like falling through it. So he had to sit in my lap the whole time. And he didn't take his eyes off the screen the whole time. He just sat there and watched the movie. And I was so proud of this four-year-old for sitting through the movie. I was like, you know, wow, I can take this kid to the movies with me now, you know? And sure. like, a, like a genius, I decided my next try would be Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, man. Live action doesn't work as well no, on young doesn't. kids as animation does. I was amazed he sat through most of Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, here's the thing about Sonic and his experience there was when I took him to the movie theater, I explained to him, you know, you can get up and go to the bathroom at any point, but you need to understand that the movie continues going. Right. And he evidently took that to mean that at some point during the movie, you have to decide to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the only optional part is when you choose to go. You must go at some point. <laughs> part of the movie going experience finally started to click with him with Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it was right after that just glut of trailers Yeah, as the AMC pre-show stuff came on right yeah. before the movie starts. He was like, I got to go to the bathroom now. I was like, oh, you've got to be shitting me. Right now? Right now? They're hard to sit through for adults. I'd say I was really just hoping because I had already seen Quantumania a few nights earlier. Oh, okay. I don't play around with this shit. Like, I'm not taking my kid to an MCU movie the first time I'm watching it. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go watch it, and then I'll bring my kid. Yeah. But when I watched it the first time, the trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie was in front of it. And I told my son, I was like, you know, we might see a trailer for Super Mario Brothers in front of this thing. You know what we saw, Nate? Not Mario Brothers. Not Mario, but we sure as hell saw a trailer for Scream 6, <laughs> followed by a trailer for The Boogeyman. And I don't know if any of you out there are familiar with the Stephen King story, The Boogeyman, but it involves an actual creature in a closet eating a child. <laughs> so, great. Oh, perfect. <laughs> no Super Mario to be found, though. Well, an eventful week, just the same. For sure. Uh, mine, maybe not so much. I have, however, discovered that Poker Face has gotten a season two. We mentioned oh. that very briefly on this show. Heck yeah. And I didn't know that. I am super excited for that. Peacock's breaking like the top 20 streaming shows or something like that. With Good. This Good for yeah. them. I have been recommending that to everyone I know. Yeah. Anybody picking up on it? Yes. I will say a couple people have messaged me and been like, Oh my God, I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't take much, and they're consistently no. good. Yes, there hasn't been a bad one in the bunch. Yeah, I come away from every single one thinking like, "Well, that was an hour well spent." Yeah, right. And I haven't watched so much Columbo in my whole life. <laughs> it's like I it's like no more poker <laughs> gotta, face. Have something. I gotta watch gotta something. something to fill a gap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing that I've been filling my time with, I have picked up the giant omnibus of paper girls all right so there now you can fill in that gap yeah i'm only a couple of issues in but already it's surprisingly different 
I know you said yes. you didn't watch the show. But I knew that it had to change some stuff. Uh-huh. The comic series is written for a very specific audience. I have to imagine the show is taking an approach that is designed to attract more viewers than that comic book might. Maybe. Because the comic book is very challenging, I think, mm-hmm. as far as this the overall narrative structure of it. But again, I haven't watched the show yet. Right. I have every intention to, regardless of the fact that it hasn't been renewed. I just don't care. Yeah, like, no, it's I worth the watch just the there. same. I yeah, I feel there. like it's worth the watch just the same. Yeah, I think maybe just for some budgetary reasons. No dinosaurs? Am- not right out of the gate is the <laughs> okay. thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. I guess, spoilers, when they introduce that aspect in the dinosaurs, it's like right near the end of the first season. So it's kind of like a holy shit moment. Whereas this one, they were flying around all over the place (laughs) in the first couple of issues. That's the beauty of comics. Like, yeah, right. You pay the artist and the artist, the artist artists, man. Yep, that's right. Same budget, regardless of what you ask them to draw. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, uh, again, we're back at uh, Quantum Leap. Family Style is the name of the episode. So who, who accepted the nudge this week? The year is 2009, and Ben has found himself in the persona of one Kamani Prasad, the oldest daughter of an Indian immigrant family in Portland. They run a restaurant called Masala Garden. Kamani's mother, Sonali, is the main proprietor after the patriarch of the family passed away Exactly one year prior, Kamani's little sister, Manisha, I would call her a go-getter. She's very ambitious, and as the younger generation does, she's got ideas about the way this family business should be run and the next steps for this business. Ben's job is to ensure not just the survival of their fledgling restaurant, but the survival of the matriarch of the family, who passes away after we discover the restaurant is burned down. Mm-hmm. Not at all subtly by the landlord, who yeah. is a very nefarious character, <laughs> who appears in once what two scenes, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, while this leap is happening in the year 2023, Ian is sent home for the day. <laughs> and after after finding out that they are the reason Ben started leaping, and they go and revisit an old flame. Mm-hmm. In a sort of minor, but I think nice character moment for the show. Yeah, what did you think of this one? Yeah, uh, I feel like this is probably one that was worth waiting for. You I know? agree. It was yeah. uh, This one felt more like Quantum Leap than any prior episode that I can think of. This was a yes. very traditional, very traditional Quantum Leap. Old Quantum Leap was at its best when the stakes were small mm-hmm. on a large scale, but they were very epic on the very hyper-personal scale, right? And the only people that this episode really affects and resonates with are the family members at hand, right? And another thing we've mentioned is that Sam Beckett traditionally leaped into somebody who didn't necessarily have the highest stakes in this whole thing working out. It was just he was a vessel to manage the personalities that really had the higher stakes Mm -hmm. in whatever was going on. And that's true of this episode, because this episode is really about Sonali and Manisha and their relationship and how to move to the next step, both as a family, 
and as entrepreneurs. Right. And I think this episode was pretty effective. I was thinking about this all day. This is the second consecutive episode where I feel like two white guys aren't necessarily the best messengers <laughs> for how effective this episode was because we recently had the episode about the trans student. Right. And now we have an episode that's entirely about an Indian immigrant family. Right. And uh, I know this is a, a an audio medium, but Nate and I are not Indian. No. And uh, so all we can really speak to is how effectively this episode executes what it sets out to do. And uh, I think it's pretty successful. Yeah, it really is. And a lot of it is just family outside of the fact that they're immigrants. All of these themes and issues were very relatable. It's more about parents having to let their children go and flourish. And early on, like episode two, I think you brought up how often Sam would run into like a rough patriarch of a family. Sam was there to sort of teach them and guide them to accept new things. And that was a big element of this episode where Ben was having to get this woman to sort of open up to what her life can be, how the changes can affect her family positively. And that's something we've already said Ben has shown. He is a glue that can bring people back together. And I thought it was interesting. Yes. The patriarch of the family has passed away, right? And there's a moment in the episode where Ben recognizes and says out loud that, oh, he was the glue. Yes. You know? And this episode does a lot of that showing, not telling, right? Yeah. This is one of my favorite opening sequences. There's a moment early on where Ben is walking through the kitchen and he looks over and sees this kind of shrine to the father that has passed away. And right. he recognizes it, the camera acknowledges it, and then he moves on. So we catch that really quick. Right. And then he looks in the mirror for the first time and we see Kamani looking back at him. It's it's so wonderful because the expression on Kamani and Ben's face is like, hell yeah. <laughs> and then they just kind of go about it. And I'm like, Ben is so into this leap from the word go. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But yeah, you already know just in that 10 seconds where he's kind of walking through the kitchen. You got, okay, someone's dead. There is no father here. That must be the dad. Right. And then we see that, oh, he, okay, so he's a daughter. Okay, we got it all. We, yeah. We got everything we need. And it's very effectively and efficiently kind of conveyed. I really like that a lot. Yeah, that's very true. I think it flies a little bit in the face of Addison's role, who, again, I don't know if we've mentioned this in the past, but she has a way of coming in and telling us things we already know. And she yes. walks in this same episode to basically tell us all of the things that you just mentioned we gleaned for ourselves. Except for one thing. There is one new bit of information she shares. Because we assumed in the last episode that when Ben leaps into this kitchen and he's cooking food and he's preparing food and he says, awesome. It's yeah. because he really likes to cook. Addison reveals that that's not the case. Uh. Addison yeah. reveals that the reason he's excited is because Ben likes to eat. Likes to eat, yeah. And I swear to God, you watch Ben in this episode, he's like freaking Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. Right. Like, he's always got food in his mouth. Yeah, he's eating like, something like and everything. every single scene, he's popping crap in his mouth, like chicken, all this stuff. And one of the funniest things in the episode, one of the funniest gags, is that he's doing this, and both 
get on his case because Kamani has that same habit of nibbling the food. Like, stop right. eating all the food. What is wrong with you? So right. it's something that she does all the time. Stop eating the so. merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But yeah, other than that moment where it's like, <laughs> no, you're... where she's like, Ben, you're a pig. <laughs> you're not wrong. But but yeah, it's more like, this is your mother. This is your sister. This is your family. This is your restaurant. And we're like, Okay, you know, we've gleaned that. And in the olden days, Al would come in and do the same thing. And Sam, if he already knew it, he'd cut him off and be like, yes, I know I'm this person. It's this year. And Al would be like, oh, okay, well, and move on. But they haven't gotten to that yet because they've got a very different dynamic. Yes. You wouldn't see where Ben would ever interrupt his girlfriend. (laughs) He's just not the type to do that. But yeah, uh, you know, outside of that, uh, like I said, this is a very traditional episode, very fitting the mold, you know, yes. of what you expect from this type of show. And I'm not sure if you're aware, who you know who directed this episode? I missed that. I was taking too many notes about the <laughs> about that kitchen scene at the beginning, so I did not see who directed it. Well, the director of this episode is Deborah Pratt. No kidding. Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life. Putting things right that once. So, oh my if you're wondering where this hearkening back comes from, the head writer of the original series, the Queen, uh, actually got a chance to direct this episode. I'm sure there's a lot in the script that just makes it feel like sure, Quantum sure. Leap, but director's got to have something to do with that, right? <laughs> I mean, this was one she, of the most fun episodes of the series. Yeah, extremely well rounded. The performances were all great. This is like. I don't know, maybe more than any other episode since What a Disaster. Whether it's the A plot or the B plot, I can't really find a fault with it. I think everything worked really, really well, and just Mm -hmm. the right amount of time was devoted to it. Right. There were only two things in this episode that I was like, "Eh, come on. Okay, you share yours and I'll share mine. I had had one or two also that if I could just kind of pluck at that thread... And pull that out that I'd have a perfect garment. You know what I mean? Right. Well, the big one for me, gosh, well, it comes near the end of the episode. I don't know if I want to just go straight for it. Okay. But Ben is there in 2009 to save the family restaurant in the process of trying to keep his family together. Mm -hmm. The restaurant does burn down. Right. He lost the restaurant. He's like, oh, God, I'm going to be stuck here forever. (laughs) And the family is like... Oh, no, well, you got prospects, like, you know. Yeah. And it's really funny. But then Ben kind of pulls things together and (laughs) manages to get a pop-up restaurant going. Right. It's completely plausible that in Portland in 2009, you were able to pull together a pop-up restaurant and make all this stuff happen. Yeah. What I find stretches credibility is the fact that he managed to find a couple that was getting married that was willing to postpone their wedding post-show or whatever. I thought it was the wrap-up. like The wrap-up. He said wrap-up. That's right. Which to me and meant they weren't going to clean up the tables and chairs. Maybe that's it. I thought it was the entire like reception. The whole reception? That I find the unlikely. Like, well, yeah. we have a reception here, but whatever. You do but your you know Indian what? cooking. Yeah, do your restaurant thing. We're that's... in Portland, baby. That part was the moment I was like, 
would you find somebody willing to just let you take over their wedding reception? I, yeah, I wonder if you're just misreading that. Because I... I that might be me. I there feel was nobody like, there, but maybe the, the yeah. that couple was horrible. Maybe nobody showed up. But then again, the tables were all made up nicely. Maybe it just cleaned up. There was no evidence to support that drunk uncles were present in that <laughs> space at any point. <laughs> Yeah, well, my feeling was that it was just sort of they're postponing the cleanup and they're leaving everything else out for us. That makes a lot. That makes a lot more sense. To me. The thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and kind of sticks out is what kind of landlord needs a gun-toting enforcer? <laughs> <laughs> I was willing to let her have that guy. I, you know, like, <laughs> okay, we get it. She's villainous, but couldn't she just be like? The landlord? I mean, it's a problem one way or the other. It feels like the stakes of the episode being so family-centric and mother-daughter-centric, we don't need a bad guy. Right. Tay Diggs didn't need an enforcer in Rent. (laughs) (laughs) He just showed up. He was like, sorry. Yeah. Money's money. I got to collect rent. (laughs) Right. And people feel obligations. Debt in and of itself is a motivating conflict. And it's plenty for this episode, and it's right? Because absolutely whole, plenty for this episode. The whole resolution of the episode is of the extended family saying, you know what, we can all kick in. Yeah. And that one unemployed guy being like, <laughs> oh, you need a taste tester? Yeah, I had a that rough guy, year, but yeah. That guy is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. But yeah, it just didn't seem like that character was necessary in any respect. The purpose could have been served with a bill on the door. And I gotta be honest, like, I think the woman that played Kathy, the landlord, is threatening enough. <laughs> yeah, right? I found her to be slightly terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one thing that that scene pointed out, when Mr. Enforcer Guy, who was only in that scene. That was right? it. And yeah, he just holds her up and has a gun to her head, her being Ben as Dee Dee. One, this doesn't fit with the rest of the episode, but... More importantly, it brought to mind something of the old show that the new show misses for me. And that is, because they do this consciousness leap thing, there are a lot of scenes like that in the original series where people would be surprised by what Sam is able to do because it's Sam. Oh, yeah. You know? Literally every time he leaped into a woman. (laughs) Anytime he leaped into a woman. Or or... or the time he leaped into a monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm pretty sure he did that roundhouse thing. (laughs) Yeah, he beat up two kidnappers when he was a mom with three kids. Yes, yes. things like that were pretty frequent, Mm -hmm. and this moment made me miss that. And I didn't really realize that I was missing it until I was like, he's picking on a woman. Here's this guy, he's holding a woman up by her throat. Right. Why doesn't Ben just sock him? It's like, oh, because he's Dee Dee. I'd really like to know the rationale for this. It was a conscious decision that the showrunner and the writers made. Yeah. But I'd really love to hear them talk about the why behind it. Yes. I don't know if that was the best choice. I don't know. That would be the scene that Sam would knock the guy out or something. Just deck the bastard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that kind of stuck out to me was (laughs) Ben's... Ben's entire plan hinges on Groupon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was... It's very 2009. Now, wait, hang on. Groupon had been around for about a year. Yeah. In 2009. Portland, obviously going to be a city that is familiar with Groupon, I think. Right. 
But he's just sitting there. Let's see. Just got account create and ding. And it's like, bing, yeah, bing, bing, one, bing, two, bing, three, bing, four. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Selling out the restaurant immediately. I was like, that's the missing piece. To say nothing Anyone, of the- <laughs> Anyone say- could open a restaurant in Portland. <laughs> To say nothing of the fact that dial-up internet is never in real time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You'd have to be refreshing that page <laughs> to see the Good number. Good for them. I was like, uh, okay, all right, I'll buy it. I'll, yeah. I'll let you have it. Because, I mean, it's, again, I'm doing head y stuff and saying, well, if it was anywhere other than Portland or L.A. or New York, then I probably wouldn't be buying this. Yeah. But, okay, I'll let you have it. Well, yeah, and I, I think Groupon's just a good indicator of the times. Yes. So it's yes. like, oh, everybody remember Groupon? Kind of a double-edged thing, because that moment kind of stood out to me as like, uh, all right. But then again, I'm also thinking, these are stories that Sam Beckett Quantum Leap couldn't tell. And I'd kind of rather spend time with this show in the last 30 years, rather than going back to the 1960s or 1970s that hmm. was really done a lot in the original series. And this episode has the opportunity to tell stories from the 90s and from the aughts, right? Yeah. Like we talked previously, how long until they do a 9-11 episode? It's coming. They're going to do a 9-11 episode. It's, right. Eventually it's going to happen, right? That's kind of the place where this show has the most opportunities to tell these kind of personal stories the same way the original series did in new ways that are maybe more relevant to the present audience. Unlike that original series, you and I were alive for these right. years, you know? So yeah, exactly. it's like we have context for it. It's, it's making the experience a little bit different for me than the original show. Because yeah. a lot of that was just like, I know what these decades were like because I studied them and my parents lived through them. But that's about all the context I have, right? Right. It's interesting to hear you say that. I remember 2009. And yeah. some of these things were making me wish that it wasn't so recent. So, so point of reference, to, to those listening, 2009 was one year after The Dark Knight was theatrically released. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how I hinge I, I, I hinge all of my passage of time on movie releases. On movie and I'm releases. Like, That's pretty good. Surely, surely The Dark Knight isn't that old. But let me assure you, it is wow. absolutely that old. <laughs> Yikes. Boy. Yeah. I don't know. Like, outside of the big CRT monitor that could mm-hmm. have been today right like i yes. mean that's the only thing that placed it in any kind of time period and it's the first time i ever thought yes you know sam was leaping within his own lifetime so yes theoretically he was always alive at those times but this was the first episode where i kind of thought oh magic is alive addison is alive Ian is probably in junior high school or something, right? Sure. And it yeah, just was the first time the it kind of made yeah. me feel like it's practically present day. But I guess it's not, really. Previous episode was closer to present day than yeah, this one well, was. There was one that of, was 2011? There was a 2012 episode. Was yeah. Is that what it is? 2012? Right? One, it doesn't become fantasy enough because it might as well have just been yesterday for me, but also aesthetically. Yeah. What do we carve these years into? Because I think one of the reasons the original series felt like it could exist in so many different diverse time periods is because 
we think of the 50s and we picture a certain aesthetic. Right. And we think of the 60s and we picture a certain aesthetic. And the 70s the same way and the 80s the same way. And each one is clearly defined and separate right. from one another. But you've got all of these like geopolitical events happening too, like Vietnam. You've got the end of World War II. Sam Beckett, not quite a boomer, but he's almost there right yeah right and so you've got all of these different kind of you got the nuclear family period of the 50s you've got the cold war era all of these sort of different backdrops Mm -hmm. and as far as like social aspects and political aspects when we're looking back to the last 30 years i mean it hasn't been static but maybe maybe we're coming at it from a different perspective because we lived through it and everything happened gradually, and it's less obvious, like, where these cutoffs are. I don't think um, so. I mean, it could be, but I don't think so. I, I don't know if I'd use the word stagnant, but after the end of the grunge era, basically everything has been the same for the see, better part of 20 years. I would say after the Frosted Tips era. <laughs> maybe five years later, the okay. grunge, and then you got that Frosted Tips kind of 98 degrees era. Right. And then, like, at the end of that, things have just... I don't know. And the political ramifications of anything, it's been the same issues since 2011. That's true. Yeah, that's true. The only thing that's changed is the party in power. Yeah. But a lot of the same conversations are still happening. All the same wackos are still out there spouting who knows what. And if those wackos aren't, then different wackos have taken their place. Right. And the only culturally impactful thing I can think of was 9-11 and the Iraq War kind of the events that define the aughts right to me and right yeah you're absolutely right and the only one that had any notable effect is 9-11 and our lives kind of got turned upside down but they haven't been turned right side up since then correct and it wasn't like when you talk about vietnam you have a picture of what was going on at home with conscientious objectors Mm -hmm. and you've got a picture of what was going on overseas with the war when we talk about the iraq war largely it was a conflict that was happening away from us that's yeah and and american culture just kept on trucking that's where i was going with that nothing has been asked of us as a country for either the iraq war the war on terror any of our military engagements over the last 20 years, people aren't even aware of them. Yeah. Like, we are still actively at war <laughs> in some parts of the globe, you know, in the yeah. in the Middle East. You know, I, I think Biden pulled the last of them out recently. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, people don't even know that. Like, people don't know that a war ended. Right, that's the thing. It's not that they don't know the troops got pulled out. It's that they don't even know the conflict was happening. Right, exactly. But the point is, there haven't been a lot of things that are, like, affecting us as a nation or defining decades the way you were talking about. Yes, Those were things that defined decades. And... What are the biggest cultural touchstones of the last 20 years? American Idol? (laughs) Iron Man? You know, like... (laughs) And it's like, and the funny thing is, like, if you ask people, yeah, when did the first Iron Man movie come out? They could probably get it within six years. Yeah. You know? (laughs) But it's like, that's not the way the culture is. I don't think it's about defining those decades. So when we're talking about this episode that takes place in 2009, and we're thinking, like, why place it in 2009? I guess the answer is... Why not? Like, why not? Yeah, exactly. And because pop-up restaurants were becoming a thing, because Groupon was a year in, and to their credit, I do think American culture is getting more open to trying authentic versions 
of international cuisine that are not Americanized versions of those cuisines. I do think that's something that's happened in the last 15 years, and I bet Portland was at the forefront of that. Sure. That was the one thing that the daughter said was, people are ready for this. She was a real visionary. Yeah. Yeah. She was like the Tony Stark of Indian chefs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've kind of talked about this on the periphery, sort of nibbled at the edges of this problem by talking about what Addison was wearing as opposed to what people were wearing. Right. But I do think that outside of the ones like the Old West, he's been to the Old West in the 1930s. Yes. And the 1930s one in particular was like hyper stylized, right? Yeah. It was meant to look like classic horror. There's no mistaking that this is out of time. Right. So I don't know. The old show wasn't defined by the fact that it took place in this time or the other time. Like it was never like, hey, check out this Rubik's Cube. It was right. Maybe the car that he was driving was popular in the 50s, but they didn't delve into the fact that it was this time all that often no and yeah it was it, was, it was a, a lot rare of nostalgia thing. for it or anything it was it was a rare thing i'm thinking of remember the episode where he was a dj Come on, yes yeah. and chubby checker chubby comes checker into the station right like that moment i was like okay so this is definitely a moment of this time and it was a right. great moment like it's so great right that one sticks out to me but you're right like it's not really about the year as much as it is about what's happening to these people. Right. And this story works. It's going to work at any time. So why not 2009? You mentioned some bits of humor. There were a lot of really good humorous moments in this episode. You know, the the guy that kept falling asleep. Diego, Diego, the guy that like you meet him and he's like, and you think he's he's just asleep. You think he's dead. He's under a cart and he's like dead. I literally thought that that guy might be dead. I know. I was like, oh, shit, is this not the episode I was sold? Like, what is that? It's like a murder mystery? Yeah, I honestly thought it was going to be some kind of like, oh, my God, he's dead. What what happened? And then it turns out he's just sleeping. He's just Um, just a dad who's got kids at home and he can't get any sleep. Yeah, right. And the next time you see him, he's like standing up asleep next to like a freezer. Yeah, and it gives the mom an opportunity to make a good joke about you and Diego and I can handle it. Okay, you yeah, and I can like handle it. Pan over, yeah, pan over to Diego. He's yeah, passed right. Out. Yeah, it was great. It, and it then the kid that wanted to run off to a sneaker drop. Sneaker drop. Yeah, <laughs> that was another thing. It was like okay, so two thousand nine. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but the sneaker drop. Bye. Yeah. I, and I'm uh, totally going to be there for you, except for like the next two hours. Yes. But yeah, it, it was a good environment. It felt good. And I honestly do wonder how much of that was Deborah Pratt. Yeah. Yeah. How much of that is in the director and like what she knows this type of show is supposed to feel like? I, I mean, I'm glad you said that it was Deborah Pratt because it did feel like there was a very steady hand behind this show. Yeah. Behind this episode, in terms of just the performances, the overall look and aesthetic of it, yeah. it was just a very engrossing and appealing hour. Yeah. And she's not an so. accomplished director. No. When I look her up on uh, IMDb, I think she's directed maybe three, four things or something yeah. like that. But they also list her as a, a writer, dancer, actress, singer. You know, like she basically is just an artist that does everything. 
She's a real Renaissance yeah, woman. Yeah, Pratt is. They yeah. list her as like the head writer of the original series. I think she wrote about eight episodes out of the the original run. Sure. So yeah, I mean, she does everything under the sun, and so directing, it's not like she's prolific, but she definitely brought something with her to this, and uh, it, it was welcome. I think. You think she's got some issues to work through with Troyan? <laughs> Maybe. That's. Uh, <laughs> Because there's definitely some mother-daughter strife in this episode. Yeah. And I have to wonder if maybe Dipper Pratt didn't use this to work through something. <laughs> I have no well, idea ben what their relationship did. is like as mother and daughter. You know? Yeah, Ben did. Yeah, and it was pretty cool to see. He got a very, very great moment at the end of this episode where he kind of got to talk to Sonali as though she were his mother. Right. And to say things to her that he wished he had been able to say to his mom. And he didn't leap until he was done. And it was really kind of right. a, kind of a nice moment that also felt very classic. Yeah, I was going to say, right? it's, it was, every once in a while, it seemed like Sam would just take that extra minute. You know, like, yes, I'm done with what I need to do. But there's also something I want to do. So right. I'm going to go ahead and take care of that before I leap. Like the episode where he was the bank robber and he got to say goodbye to his dad. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like the leap is over. My purpose is done, but I get an extra minute to go do this thing. Right. Yeah. It was definitely one of those. And Ben actually said, well, I don't think I'm done just yet. And it was funny that they did that, too, because this episode was so similar to what the old show feels like. It kept bringing up these things in my mind, like the thing I mentioned earlier about Sam surprising people with his abilities this thing that we're just now talking about with him being able to hang around for a minute. I kept thinking about the leap out for Ben. And I tried mm -hmm. to go back to some of the other episodes when the leap storyline has finished and he's ready to leap out and they do the little eyeball thing that they do with him. Um, yeah. And as this one was wrapping up, I was like, you know, I really miss those episodes where they would cut in the middle of a sentence. Like he would leap out in the middle of something, just like he would leap in to the middle of something. Yes. You weren't quite ready. He wasn't quite ready. And, and there it goes. Oh, yep. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're done. And somebody's <laughs> either sp yeah. speaking to him or he's about to respond to something and then he leaps out. Or somebody says something to him right before he leaps that is sort of befuddling, like the Leap Home Part 2, when his brother says, and it's all thanks to you, little brother. And it's just like right. this minute. And, and then it's like he leaps and he's gone, that. and that's all there is to that. I feel like this show has wrapped everything up in a little nice bow before he, mm -hmm. before he leaps. In fact, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but it feels like... The story always wraps up and he gets to have a little one-on-one -on -one with Addison before he goes most of the time. A lot of is the time, right? yeah. Like we saw it that is. we saw that in Fellow Travelers, where he actually got to sit and listen to a song before he leaped out. <laughs> yeah. You know? And he and Addison are sitting there talking and it's like kind of Yeah, you've got this like come down period. Yeah. Maybe when he was about to tell her that joke at the end of Leap Die Repeat. Yes. He was about and, to tell her a joke and then had to leap out. But even that one, it felt like, oh, the leap is done. So I'm just kind of hanging out and chit chatting with you until I leap. Yeah. It's neither good nor bad. It's just an interesting observation that yeah. this episode yeah. brought up to me. I, I think because of this one so easily harkens back to the original series. So talking about what Ben experiences with Sonali in relation to his own mother. Mm -hmm. We get a couple more quick flashbacks of his mother on the floor 
when young Ben discovered her dead body. Yeah, the flashback thing again. And it's the only real part of the episode that I thought was a little mysterious to me, right? Where it kind of spoke to, okay, maybe there's a longer game here. Because most of the episode is very straightforward. Even the stuff with Ian isn't necessarily pushing that 2023 mystery forward. No. It's just about Ben sitting there, he has the flashback, and he says, you know, what happened to my mother? And Addison said, your mother died of an aneurysm. There was nothing you could have done. Right. And then it's dropped and we move on. But the fact that we brought that up makes me feel like there's definitely something he could have done and it wasn't an aneurysm. Did you get that feeling? I didn't because didn't we already know it was an aneurysm we did but we're dealing with somebody who has severe memory issues yeah you know i talked when we saw that episode where ben was kind of revisiting or or reliving kind of those memories Mm -hmm. i mentioned the flash and how barry allen's mom (laughs) died and barry allen made it his lifelong quest to go back in time and save her who knew she lived in the burton verse I just didn't. Right. Yeah. Just wild. She's been alive there the whole time. (laughs) Why did you just try that next time? That was the one we all loved anyway. Why didn't we just go back there? But seriously, though, like, I still feel like this show is gearing us up for some sort of Flash-ish time travel with regards to Ben's mom. Hmm. Like, I think we might look back at that scene differently at some point. Yeah, that could be because they keep... It's the only thing they're really flashing back to, right? Right. That did feel a little weird, both in this one and What a Disaster. Flashbacks right. seemed a little out of place for this, but not not so much that it bothered me, but it was just like, you know what? I don't know that I've ever really seen flashbacks in Quantum Leap before, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it feels also like you were talking about showing, not telling. There were some moments like that, specifically surrounding that backstory, but also just his interaction with the sister where Mm -hmm. they're having conversations that an actual sister of that family would not be having. Like, it is (laughs) like she does not be reminding her sister of the trip that their parents had planned to go to Egypt. Like, if you were talking to you, I don't know if you even, I don't actually don't even know if you have any brothers or sisters. Yeah. (laughs) If I were talking to my sister. We usually talk about just bullshit like this, Nate. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) But it just feels like she was dictating to Ben things he needed to know for the story, as opposed to some kind of organic conversation between sisters. And like, I I feel like the, yeah, 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 I I don't that was most of it, but it just seems like the in the older show, Sam would have to like infer from that, you know, would have to infer from an actual conversation that brothers would have rather yes. than having a scripted conversation that tells you what you need to know. And I think a lot of that has to come from the fact that we've got that 2023 storyline to further. Mm-hmm. It's a time thing. Yeah, but I think this episode does get a moment kind of more akin to what you're talking about. Because when the family goes to find Manisha and she's at the pizza parlor. Yeah, yeah. And Ben is able to just kind of infer, you guys remember the first time we were here? He takes a stab in the dark on that. He takes a total shot at it. And you can see when they start talking about it, he's like, yeah, I got it. You know, he's got this. (laughs) I like he's he's doing like an eye side to side kind of thing. Like, remember? 
Manisha came there. Mom knows to find her there. And it's just sort yeah. of this thing. Okay, this place has some sort of significance. So let's see if I can just take a shot in the dark. Yeah. And we can play that. Into was that was Ben knowing Except, how to be a time traveler. That was it. Yeah. That was it. And yeah. he... Yeah. And kind of just knowing families, I think. And people's relationships and, and just knowing that things are built around other things. And people's relationship with pizza, <laughs> I think. Is bad our... pizza, as it, <laughs> yeah, t- as right. it turns out. Right. But even bad pizza is still pretty right? good pizza. Uh, that, that's true. But yeah, that was a good um, moment. I enjoyed that specifically the look on his face as he was saying. Yeah. Do you remember? You know, because he knew I just need to get these two talking. What yes. can I bring up? Right. And right. Then he took a shot in the dark and hit the bullseye. So you mentioned the coffee shop. Yeah. So 2023, Ian is sent home for the day by magic because Ian is obsessed. And who wouldn't? <laughs> right. With upon being confronted with the idea that they are the leaper that impacted Ben and started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Ian is gaming every possible scenario for the future out to figure out why they would be the one to travel back and send their best friend into this horrible situation. Right. And Magic's like, oh, you just gotta stop. You're, you're getting obsessed with this. You gotta go home. But I think, I mean, obviously, Ian's response I'm just speaking as a layman. I'm not speaking as any sort of quantum physicist. This is like exactly the reaction I would have. It's like, now I'm going to be considering every little action I take. I'm going to be considering not just the the decisions I make at work, but what I eat in the morning. Right. Yeah. (laughs) To determine like, where did I go wrong? Why did I do this? Yeah. And so Ian is sent home for the day. Right. I liked their little office yes, that they yeah. have there with the blinky Spencer's lights and stuff all over the place. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. And just looking at the readouts, obviously, I didn't pause it enough to look and really examine, but it kind of felt like fracturing timelines on some of those yes. screens. Mm-hmm. They were talking about probabilities and this decision begets this response or what path does this send us all on? As opposed to this other one. And it looked like all the readouts were kind of graphic representations of choices and timelines. Like, right, like branching. About. It looked like somebody was trying to write a choose your own adventure book. <laughs> you know, with like all these branching possibilities and some of them dead end and some of them keep going and all, you know. Right. But yes, yeah. I really love that. But it also looks so chaotic and just jumbled that you immediately look at it and think, go get a drink you know like like just go take a nap or something yeah you You gotta relax they do a good job of looking you know affected by this i i was actually a little surprised given some of the other narrative choices they've made in this show that they showed ian the pictures right away yes i was like yeah i was i was a bit surprised by that you know i kind of thought that they'd him and haw and mill about wondering whether it's something that they should share like what kind of response could this get or what does this mean or you know Mm -hmm. how is this going to affect them and you'd expect them to take a whole episode to kind of come to the decision but again i guess two episodes in a row now they've kind of skipped all that jazz and gotten right to the point that's right you know so i was a little surprised to see them turn in the pages of the sketchbook in that scene all of a sudden here's a question about that sketchbook okay so dotty has drawn these pictures of Ian based on her memory of Ian. Right. Why is Ian wearing glasses all the time? Dottie doesn't wear glasses, does she? (laughs) Yeah, but 
wouldn't they have not leaped with the glasses on? Yeah, I guess it would come down to the aura that they represent. Yeah. I mean, is it your best avatar, I guess? Yes, it's your (laughs) avatar. The only possible thing I could think of was like, if selected your avatar and that's what they're seeing in their mind's eye. Yeah, because there'd be no reason for magic to know Sam's face. Right. There's So there's no reason for Dottie to know Ian's face except Ian as a person, you know? I guess yeah. when Ian thinks about themselves, they probably are wearing those glasses, maybe. Okay, that's something I should probably not think too much about. <laughs> <laughs> well, for more practical reasons, it's just so that we would recognize that drawing right away for anybody that could sure. pick it up, you know? Sure. From, it's like, this is the most distinctive feature we have of this character. Uh, they were looking pretty good this episode. Had quite yeah. the style while they were out on the town. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Always looking great. And I really did like the insight into their personal life that we get through Rachel, who is an ex-partner yeah. of Ian's that, eh, that they kind of stalk <laughs> <laughs> by saying, oh, have you ever been to this place for coffee? This coffee place is in the building I work. Yeah. You know? Right. Yes, I've been there. Right. It was just a person struggling to find an opening line. And that Absolutely. was nice. And it was interesting to see Ian in another environment. Because you know how you're somebody different at work than when you get home or when you're out with your friends? Right. Yeah. You have different personas for different times. The one thing that I would never glean from Ian as a character is that they are a character that is closed off and doesn't let people in. Especially following this last episode we just saw where they evidently were able to open up about a suicide attempt to Addison relatively comfortably. Like, I've never seen Ian not able to emote. And yet, when we get that revelation that Ian was so caught up in their work and they couldn't talk about it, that their relationship kind of fell apart as a result of it, that's pretty consistent with what I've seen so far. They are very dedicated to the work. Yeah. I could kind of see this being like Ian's trajectory and maybe the reason they're more comfortable talking to Addison in the previous episode is both because of the context of the leap, but because Ben's leaping and everything they're experiencing, I would stop short of calling it a traumatic experience for them, but it's definitely experience that is drawing these people closer together, right? Right. I got the impression in the pilot that Ian was the sort of friend that's really fun to have around and you could almost hang around with without even realizing that you don't even really know that much about them, right? Uh, That they never talk about themselves. It's just like they are the life of the party. They've always got something clever and fun to say that, you know, stylish, exciting type of person to be around. And then three years down the road, you're like, I don't really know who this person is. Right. You know, and so it was kind of easier for me to grasp. And I think Rachel was kind of the perfect vessel for that because Rachel is coming from a place where there is an implied intimate relationship that doesn't exist with the other characters. Right. Right. And so Rachel immediately is the most effective mode of conveying that information. Okay, you're selling me a little bit on it. To me, it felt like we just need a reason for these two to not presently be in a relationship and the idea that ian's never been able to open up and let her in 
it didn't seem to sit with what I understood of Ian, but you make some good points. It's similar to the moment that they mentioned, I sent my best friend, you know, with all this emphasis on what great friends the two of them are. Yes. It stuck out as, oh, really? You guys are best friends? Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe Ben and Ian are best right, friends. Right, but we've right? never like, gotten the... that sense from Ian ever. Right. But I mean, like, that's kind of the point to me. Somebody like that could go through life and be surrounded by people, but never have that sort of deep relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. That you might need to really make something like a relationship with another human work. Right. Right? I'm not saying, like, Ian's completely superficial, but there's a part of Ian that's completely closed off. And, yeah, Ian's the kind of person that can walk into a room and command an audience. Right. And then leave at the end of the night feeling completely devastated and lonely. And I think that's kind of the impression I got about Ian by the end of this episode. And I was like, you know, that kind of comports with what I've seen. So it'd be kind of like a scenario where he considers Ben his best friend, but does Ben even know that? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Ben's best friend is probably Addison. Right. I think we can all say that pretty confidently, right? Or is it Janice? Hmm. No. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe so. But no, yeah, I, yeah. That's a that's an interesting take. I wonder if we're writing this character right now, though. I wonder if all maybe. of that stuff is actually an understanding in, that in, like this, the show Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like we're kind of piecing this together as head canon based on what we've been presented with. I don't know, but. Possibly, but possibly. It's and an I've, interest- I've made no secret of the fact that Ian's, like, my favorite character on this show. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. well, you've given it some thought, then. Yeah. yeah. To the show's credit, Ben is probably my favorite character on this show. I think, just so, I mentioned it last time, just so easy to watch. You know? Mm-hmm. Just effortlessly endearing. You know, just... Yeah. Like, I don't know that they could have picked a better person to portray the lead. And... Maybe they could have, like, Ben is also kind of a little boring, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like Raymond Lee is great and easy to watch and wonderful. Ben, maybe a little boring when I think about it. I don't know. But shouldn't he be? Like, that's, that's a, that's a like, question, should, yeah. Shouldn't Ben be a little less interesting than the characters in The Leap, right? Like, it goes back to what we've been talking about the whole time, where, like, the, the main focus of The Leap are the characters that Sam was meeting in the original series. Sure. Right? But whether or not it's a conscious decision they're making or not, right? Ben being slightly less interesting than, say, in this episode, Manisha and Sonali, it works to the benefit of the episode, right? And, and the same thing with the previous episode with the trans daughter. Like, these characters around, Gia should be the most important and interesting character in this narrative. Right. It is interesting. Uh, most of the time when Sam was the Leaper, you saw Sam. And it was mm-hmm. Sam pretending to be this woman. It's Sam pretending to be this guy. It's Sam having to play this role. Whereas Ben does kind of feel like, oh, right now Ben is this person. Even to the extent that like the one big cosmetic difference in this episode is that Ben's got a nose piercing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right. And uh, and Addison's just like, hey, you look good with a nose piercing. And that's that, it. Okay. Now that you mention that, though, if that's not Ben's body with an aura around it that, that Addison can't see, what? 
How does she know he looks good with a the nose piercing? The impression is that she sees Ben there. Yes. yes. What the heck? Somebody explain it. Sticky, <laughs> sticky wicket. Please, yeah. somebody explain this crap to me. It's driving me <laughs> up the wall. But uh, I digress. All in all, really sharp episode. Glad to see it find some form, you know. Um, yeah, I would say this is a top three of the season for yeah. me. Easily. Yeah. In my, in my top three so far this season. So Yeah, I, I would Good say the them. same. I, I think um, this one and uh, the, the Halloween and episode, I think. The more I, th- I think back fondly on that episode, I can't really remember yeah. so much what we said on the podcast. But when I think I back about it. it, I think I really did enjoy that episode. It was it was a fun. Um, got some other stuff I wanted to say about Deborah Pratt, but I can hold it for another time. Um, <laughs> we're right. We're running. We're running long, and we haven't even mentioned Brandon Routh yet. So, oh God, I was going to ask you. Okay, so the the episode we get the teaser for next week. Ben is on a a battleship. Guns are firing. We're in the ocean. Exciting, yeah. Naval combat. And I was going to ask you, do you know what the deal is with this next episode? <laughs> Only the Brandon Routh aspect. Do you know who Brandon Routh is playing? Yeah, in the his, next episode? Her, uh, Addison's father. They actually mention that yes. if you watch it broadcast. They actually mention it in the next week on Quantum Leap, blah, blah, blah. And she actually says, and that's my dad. You know, so, I mean, it's been given away to anybody that's paying attention. Oh, man. I watched it streaming, so so I missed that. But I did know that he was playing Addison's father. So not only do you get cinema's uh, second best Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I don't know. That's not... I don't. I don't know if I would say. It. I'd say probably third best Superman. <laughs> Unfortunately, third best. Superman. <laughs> okay. Uh, but um, but we also get Addison's dad. Yeah. I think there are several Superman actors that have been desperately good Superman in search of a good movie that just never quite found it. I'd put Brendan Routh in that that category. Yeah. Yeah. He did a great job in that. He's a talented actor. Did a great job bringing melancholy superman to the big screen yes scott pilgrim i really enjoyed him in scott pilgrim too todd's vegan yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he played in powers and he played the atom in the arrow yes and superman in the arrowverse kingdom come Superman. yeah (laughs) you know we're getting off topic but i i really wish that tom welling had been kingdom come superman yeah, yeah. I mean, they gave him a happy ending. They try, yeah. So, yeah. you know. The, anyway, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a good juxtaposition from family story to big bombshells going off on a battleship in the middle of the ocean. From yeah. one leap to the next, it's definitely a different story. As it should yeah. be. And, As it should be. Like, I want something. Go here, then go there. Yeah. Yeah, I want whiplash going from one episode to the right. next, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the story will be about her father or will it be anecdotal that the father is there? I feel like it's going to be anecdotal, but Addison's going to go through some stuff. You think she has daddy issues? Well, okay, so she followed in her dad's footsteps, right? Sure. I'm picturing something, not to stick with the Superman metaphor, but very akin to Lois Lane and General Lane's relationship in the comics where... Her dad was the staunch military man, and she is this very headstrong, very independent and brash woman, and the two of them are at odds all the time. 
Okay. I picture something similar to that. Yeah, the other way they can go is I've always been looking for his approval, and that's why I joined the military. We did kind of do that in episode two, Atlantis. Similar trajectory there, right? With the uh, female astronaut seeking approval approval from the the... father figure, right? Right. Not the actual dad, but the mentor figure. Right. I'm just trying to think of it. We don't have Addison's backstory yet, so I'm wondering... going to either be what you said or it's going to be what I said. It'll we'll be see. interesting to see. I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. All right. Well, glad to be back. Glad to have done some recording this week and had Quantum Leap back on the air. Thank you, folks. Once again, I can't believe we squeezed an hour and 20 minutes of conversation. I really wondered episode. where the conversation was going to come from so because it was very straightforward. Yeah. And it was a very comfortable episode to watch, you know. But yeah, we made another hour-long episode out of this, and um, nice. as long as you guys yeah. are willing to listen to it, I'll keep talking. Well, folks, speaking of things that you might be willing to do, <laughs> feel free to drop us a line at ohboyqlpod, that's O-H-B-O-Y-Q-L-Pod at gmail.com. Share thoughts, feedback, memes, whatever you got. <laughs> Nate and I are both out there in the social media verse, but I'll be honest, we're kind of transients when it comes to social media right now. Yeah. Since the Musk takeover well, of Twitter. But weren't we um, expecting you know, Twitter to die at some point? Is it I thought going it was to? going to die. Was isn't everybody saying it was going to die? Maybe it's like the walking dead where it's like it's just this die. this lifeless corpse that's shambling around. I think that <laughs> Twitter will not go away if this didn't kill it. Anyway, it's I'm good. at Action Nate. If no, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm still on Twitter. Yeah, who at isn't? Captain is my Burr. point. You, know, you go, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, find me on there. But uh, you know, the most important thing is that you keep watching Quantum Leap, keep listening, folks. Those are the things I want you to do the most of all. Until next time, I'm Brian and I'm Nate, and we'll be here in the waiting room.